If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. But I have not love. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, to the but I have not love, not I gain love. nothing. I love is patient. Love, love is kind. kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it, keeps it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, love always perseveres. Love never love fails. Never love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we, we know in part, part and we prophesy in part. But when perfections come, the imperfection disappears. When, when I was a child, child I talked like, talk like a child. I thought like a child, I respond like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see, but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. But the greatest of these is el amor. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging symbol. Can we all say noise? And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains that have not love, I am nothing. Can we all say empty? And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned that have not love, it profits me nothing. And we all say, love is essential. To understand any text, it's important to read the context. And if we can turn back to the previous chapter, chapter 12, verse 27, he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Then he's talking about the unique parts of the body and their ministries within that body. Verse 27, he says, now you are, he's speaking to this congregation in Corinth, Greece, Now you are, let's all say now, you are the body of Christ and members individually. So together, we are the body of Christ. Separately, we are members of the body of Christ. You see that? Corporately, we're the body. Individually, we're the members. So it would be correct to say we are the church. It would be correct to say we are part of the church because there are many expressions of the church, many local churches that express the life of Christ through congregations. But it would not be correct to say I am the church. It would be correct to say I am a part of the church. It would be correct to say I am a son of God. And women can even say that. You are a son of God. The son gets all the inheritance. Amen? Jesus is our elder brother. It's also correct for you to say you are a daughter of God. It would be correct, men, for us to say we are the bride of Christ corporately. But individually, it would be incorrect to say I am the bride of Christ. 
You see, the imagery of our relationship with God, he relates to us corporately. We are the bride of Christ, but individually, we are only a part of the bride of Christ. No one can say, I am the bride, or I am a bride of Christ. No, he's not a polygamist. He has one bride, one wife, the church, one body. He's not a freak. One body, many parts. It's interesting that Jesus came to establish the church, and yet he only used the word church twice in the Gospels. Now, in Revelation, he used it several times. But in the Gospels, he used the word church twice. first time is in Matthew 16. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And what is that rock? This rock is the revelation of who Jesus is and knowing him. Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God. Jesus said, humanity has not revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven. And on this rock, I will build my church. Can we all say my church? So Jesus is the builder and the church is his, and he builds the church. That speaks of the church universally all over the world, from Pentecost to the end of time. He is building his church. He's building his people. The second place he uses the word church in the Gospels happens two chapters later in Matthew 18. He says, if your brother sins against you, go to him and tell him his fall between you and him alone. Just the two of you, you know, don't, don't go bring other people in with it. And if it doesn't work, then take one or two other people with you and go back to the brother who sinned against you to try to sort things out. And if that doesn't work, he said, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to hear the church, then let him be to you as a publican and a tax collector. Now, that doesn't mean pronounce a curse on him. It just means... He no longer has a place of ministry in the function of the body of Christ. He, we, we love publicans and tax collectors, right? Jesus did. Come on, raise your hand. I'm supposed to love lawyers. Go ahead and do it. I just defended all the legal people in the house. Sorry about that. They're to lose their influence until they repent and stop sinning. An example of that would be if a brother could be in here in the, in the church and he's hitting on the sisters behind the scenes. And a brother catches him hitting on his wife, and he goes and confronts him. This kind of thing can happen. He goes and confronts him, and he can repent, and then it's, it's great. But if he continues to be devious, continues to do it, then that brother should take another brother or a couple other brothers with him. Because this is a shark. Examples of this happen in youth all the time. Sharks join youth groups for the chicks, you know. And so you've got to confront them in, in love and see if they'll repent. And if they repent, they're not sharks. So anyway, they're just normal males. You know. If they're hitting on the brothers, we want to confront that too, you know. There can be sisters like this too. Man, I'm going to offend everybody today, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Welcome back, Pastor Allen. I'm out of practice. So not too good at tiptoeing through tulips. Anyway, and if it doesn't work, you know, then you... You do something to put a stop to that kind of destructive behavior because it it hurts. So that verse cannot be applied to the church universally. If a brother here is causing problems, telling the church in Bombay doesn't do any good, right? It applies to a local church. This local church is an expression of Christ's body just like First Baptist is. 
So the First Baptist is having problems with a sister who's sowing discord. They have no business calling us. It would do no good for us to hear it, see? So Matthew 18 speaks of the church locally. So can we all say universal and local? It's my belief that the book of Revelation, if you read it and study it, Jesus is speaking to local churches, and he's also speaking to his church universally. And so the church is universal. Everyone who's saved, if you believed in Jesus, he's forgiven you of your sins, you are instantly a part of the universal church. But it's important that you become a committed part of a local church. A local church expresses that universal church. The universal church is invisible. I mean, you couldn't see it all. I mean, it's all over the world, and it's in time and in space. But the local church makes the universal church visible. And so it's important to be part, a committed part, of a local church where brothers and sisters get to know one another and grow in him together. And so... 1 Corinthians 13 is written to a local church, and we can apply it to ourselves. Verse 27 again. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church first apostles. Now, we could get into what it means to be first, but let's just keep it simple this morning. The first people Jesus appointed were the 12, right? And 11 of them became apostles, so they were first. Second, prophets. In the book of Acts, we read about a prophet named Agabus. And in Acts 13, we read about a gathering of apostles and prophets. So God began to institute prophets in the church. Third, teachers. Then, after that, miracles and gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Now, some would compare this to Ephesians 4, 11, which says that Jesus ascended and sent back gifts to men. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. That's commonly called a fivefold ministry. I prefer the word sevenfold ministry. Jesus is the giver of the gifts, so the first fold is him. And then comes apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. And the purpose of that is for the equipping of the saints. So the seventh fold of the ministry of Jesus in the earth is you and I ministering to the place of Jesus as those who are called apostles of prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers, equip us for ministry. So the real action happens outside the walls of a church building, outside the assembly of believers. The real action happens out in the marketplace, in your neighborhoods, in your homes, on the job. Can I get an amen? amen. And so here we have this passage. How does this work with Ephesians 4? Well, here's how I see it. First, there's apostles. Ephesians 4 mentions some apostles. Then there's prophets. Ephesians 4 mentions some prophets. Third, teachers. What happened to evangelists? Well, look. He appointed these in the church. These minister in the church. Evangelists minister outside the church. You see that? But I also can see the ministry of evangelists in miracles, gifts of healings, Because as you minister outside the church, I don't know if you realize it, if you witness to someone and they have a need and you pray, God moves mightily. God moves mightily. My own brother hadn't been going to church for a while, and now he's got some some challenges in his personal life. I took some Zimbabweans by his house to meet him, and they took him on as a prayer project. And the next day, 
One of his employees, he's in the insurance business, one of his employees on her day off sold 14 policies. And some other things have been happening. Every week, just positive things are happening. Prayer works. Amen. And so the power, you know, somebody says, where's the power? The power is, is in evangelism. It has to be that way. Because if all the signs and wonders only happen in our gatherings, we'll never reach out. We'll just become self-centered, us for no more. You know. So God keeps us out. Now, where do pastors and teachers fit in? Well, here's also what I believe. You can check it out. What some call the fivefold ministry actually could be called the fourfold ministry. The word pastor is coupled with teacher. I don't, I don't even know if the conjunction and is in there. Pastors and teachers, there's no such thing as a pastor that's not able to teach. I think there is such thing as a teacher who's not a pastor. So pastors and teachers is one function, a pastor-teacher. So here it, it could be said that it points to those who shepherd in the house of God. After that, miracles, gifts of healings. And these are ministries that we are all to function in. We are to be apostolic in ministry, prophetic in ministry, pastoral in ministry, evangelistic in ministry. Are we not? And we're to be teaching others what we're learning. And here's other ministries in the church that are mentioned in Romans chapter 12. Helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Now, let's go on to the next verse. Are all apostles? What's the answer? No. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? What's the answer? The implied answer is no. We all have different functions in the body. But don't stop there, okay? It's the truth, but don't stop there. Just because you're one member of the body doesn't mean you're static at that function. God raises up, and so we're to press for more. Do all interpret tongues? No. Earnestly desire the best gifts. What does that mean? It means more gifts, right? If these are our gifts, and we all have different gifts, and then it says, but earnestly desire the best gifts, it means we should be desiring more gifts, of course, as well as desiring the best gifts. We say best gifts. So this is a challenge to grow to do more than we've been doing. Well, I'm just the person that mows people's grass. Well, that's great. You're not just the person. You're a person that serves in a vital capacity. But you know what? God can use you to do more than just mowing people's grass. And yet I show you a more excellent way. And so begins 1 Corinthians 13. Keep in mind the chapters were put there by man, not by the writer's just to help us find specific passages quicker. So he flows right from that thought, yet I show you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become as a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. What is the more excellent way? It's the way of love. It is. So regardless of what our ministry is, if there's not love involved, it's not going to work. It's not going to bear fruit. Because what is the purpose of ministry? It's to communicate the love of God. And if we do it without love, we're not communicating the love of God. We're just making noise. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. I mean, this is a highly gifted person. 
And though I have all faith that I could remove mountains that have not love, I am, we all say, empty. I'm nothing. Ministry without love misses the mark. You're just going to draw people to yourself, and you're going to present an incorrect image of Jesus to the world. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, even mortared and without love, but have not love, it profits me nothing. There is no reward for that. Love, four points. Love is our number one priority. Can we all say number one? It's our number one priority. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 ends the chapter with these words. Now abide faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Faith is important. We've got to have it. Hope is important. We've got to have it. But without love, what's it for? Love is the greatest. Number two. Love is Christ's command. He said, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Number three, love is Christ's new command. A new commandment I give you, that you may love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. I went away for three days last December and took the Living Translation, New Living Translation Bible with me. I had not tried reading much of that before. I bought a new, new one and took it with me. And I read Genesis through Deuteronomy and then went on into Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. So I read the law. And then I jumped over the New Testament and I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts. And what I got out of that experience was like 52 sermons on love. It's the message of the Bible. And when you distill the word down, it's all about God loving us and showing us a need to appreciate that. And it's his will for us to love one another. It's what Christianity is all about. Love fulfills the law. It's actually what the Old Testament is about. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. And fifthly, without love, all is Vain. And there's our text again. Without love, it's for nothing. In the Gospels, Jesus said that on Judgment Day, there would be those coming to him who would say, Lord, we've done mighty things in your name. We've prophesied in your name. We've cast out demons in your name. This is in Matthew 7:22, And done many wonders in your name. And I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This is people ministering in his name, but not with the law of love. Not the royal law of love. They're they're practicing religion with no love. And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Love is essential. Now let me say this. Overemphasizing love's priority to the point of our excluding Our believing in spiritual gifts would rob us of vital ways to demonstrate the priority we have to express God's love. All right? Remember, chapter 12 ended with, yet I show you a more excellent way. Some seek to minimize the importance of spiritual gifts, the power of God moving in our lives, 
through healing and miracles. They seek to minimize that because love is the better way. All right? Love never fails. Sometimes we pray for people and we don't see any results. So that's why love has to be our constant. But with that being said, love motivates us to want to see people healed, right? Love motivates us to want to see the power of God move, to confirm the word with signs following, to help in this communication to the world that there is a God who loves them, who wants a relationship with them, who wants them to follow him, showing himself strong on their behalf so that they'll turn to him and accept what he offers to them. And so with that being said, having emphasized love and the importance of it, I would like to just talk about some recent healings that this body has seen. First is a report from our children's pastor, Laura, who's also our missions coordinator. She was able to join her son, Andy, and daughter-in-law, Jess Duncan, in Jamaica with about 90 teenagers from all over the nation ministering on the streets of Jamaica. Laura is so busy here on Sunday mornings that we had to video her to give you the report of the amazing things that happened. So here we go. I had the privilege of going to Jamaica on a mission trip in July. I went with Teen Mania Ministries, and uh, there were 91 of us who converged on Jamaica. 15 adults, and the rest were all students. The youngest one was 11 years old, and the oldest was around 21. Uh, We had an incredible time of ministry. We were in Kingston, and normally when you think of Jamaica, you think of, uh, you know, Nice hotels and beaches and cruises. Well, that's not what we saw. Uh, Jamaica is a third world country, and it is uh, very poverty stricken. So while we were there, we um, we were able to do three vacation Bible schools a day at three different sites. We went and ministered in a home for handicapped children. We went to two different orphanages and had a Bible school. We had uh, a a neighborhood ministry at night in uh, one of the poorer sections. And we also had uh, a team that did street ministry. And it was kind of like cold call street ministry. This particular team was made up of uh, high school seniors and college students. And uh, they went out on the street and just started talking to people and just saying, is there anything we could pray with you about? And there was one elderly woman who uh, was hunched over and had very thick glasses. And they asked her, is there anything we can pray with you about? And she said, yes, I have cataracts and I can't see. And so they started praying for her. And after a few minutes, they asked her, they said, uh, is your vision better? And she said, no. And they said, well, Jesus prayed twice for a blind man. We'll pray again. So they started praying for her again, and as they were praying for her that second time, they saw the clouds that were over her eyes. They saw those start, and as the clouds started to dis- started disappearing, she started yelling and shrieking and pointing out. She goes, "I can see!" And she would point out so and so and different colors and everything. She got so excited because God healed her right on the spot. Well, that lit a fire under the the kids that were ministering, and they became bold. And they started going to places that normally we would not go to. And one of those was out in front of a porno shop. And there was another elderly lady that they prayed for who had cataracts, and she got healed. And the owner of the porno shop was watching all this. And he came out, 
And he asked them what they were doing. And they started telling him about Jesus. And he accepted Christ. And then he got so excited that he called in two of his cousins. Those two guys accepted Christ. Well, these kids were really bold now. And so they started evangelizing at the bus stop. And what would happen was a bus would stop there and would be there for two minutes. So they would put one foot inside the bus, one foot on the curb, and they'd give a two-minute gospel message. And people on the buses started coming to Jesus. One woman just started weeping. And she said, I used to know Jesus, and I fell away from him. And last night I prayed and said, if you want me back, please show me. And you guys came and you shared Jesus. So they were able to point her to a ministry there to minister to her. And uh, all told, as far as we can tell, there were about 300 people that accepted Christ that week. That so radically affected these teenagers that when we had our free day, when we went to the beach and to go shopping, they came up to us and they said, do we have to do that? Can we just go pray for someone? It was like God had ignited love for people in that. And we went there to show God's love, but it was like God's love multiplied within us and within our kids and reached out to people who were desperate for Him. It doesn't just happen in other countries, it happens here as well. Is Hal Holloway here this morning? He gave me his testimony of his battle with colon cancer, and so I highlighted some lines from this. In September of 08, after being pressed to get a routine colonoscopy, I learned there was nothing routine about it. When I awoke, the doctor explained that there was a carcinoma and it was something I was going to have to deal with. My thought went to my wife and my work. Katie was simply the best about this problem, and we took this to God. On the following Wednesday, I traveled to a large meeting in New York with my largest customer, and I learned that evening my customer, my largest account, had requested that my company remove me from the account. I was crushed. Never saw this coming, but I was fired by my customer. I now look back to see that a very loving God pushed my work aside, knowing that I would not have taken care of my health with all this work stuff running in the foreground. I asked to meet with the elders of the church to be prayed for and anointed with oil. This was a biblical thing for us to do. I also felt led to contact our closest praying friends, and boy, did they respond to our request. This request was threefold, that I would suffer no side effects after chemo and radiation, that I would drive myself to treatment, and I would continue to be able to work. And thirdly, when the chemo and radiation treatment were complete, the tumor would be gone. We went for tests to confirm and found a shadow on my liver and it was determined that I needed to have that looked into to see if there was a migration of the tumor. All the while the clock is ticking. My patience is wearing thin and I'm reeling from losing my biggest customer and yet I still am having the best year ever. Into our lives comes Dr. Sinner, a colon surgical specialist. We did tests. We waited. We did more tests. We waited. All the while and unknown to me, God's hand is moving and aligning and rescheduling doctors. Now it is October of 09, and we add a Dr. Sorgens, a radio-oncologist for radiation treatment, and Dr. Redrow, a chemo-oncologist for chemotherapy. God had arranged for me to have the best team available in Fort Worth. Beginning back in September, I had felt led that I should make a dietary change. 
began eating raw and fresh vegetables and fruits, lots of vitamins and minerals, building up my immune system to prepare for the attack of chemo and radiation. Treatment began at the end of October, and I would work until 3 p.m., go to Fort Worth, do treatment, drive back, rest, and do it again daily, sometimes for two weeks at a time, on and off, all the while being held up in prayer, believing that God was doing this for us. Meanwhile, Jesus was hard at work in a cancer treatment center. Around Christmas, it began to wear on me. I was tired, fuzzy-headed, lying in bed awake, repeating in my mind, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. I had this vision of God's hand passing through my body, a view of God's great hand simply passing through and removing my problem. I'm thinking, did I imagine this? Did my mind create this? The smile on my face is genuine. The lightness in my heart is amazing. I simply cruised through the rest of my treatments. God was in this all the way. Mid-January of 09, I go in for an exam. I know in my heart there is no longer anything to treat. I know the prayer has been answered by all the things I've watched God do. Dr. Sinner exams me, looks and looks some more, takes biopsies. He tells Katie, well, I can see where it was, but it truly is gone. Gone by the grace of God. Gone because Christ died for me. Gone so that I can have a relationship with the Almighty. Gone to bless Katie. Gone so I can have a testimony for what God has done for me. Gone because I have a future and a hope in Christ. Gone because I'm learning to trust in the Lord with all my heart. I want to thank everyone who stood with us in prayer these years and know that we stand with anyone who would ask. We know the power of God's hand. We feel the love of God through Jesus Christ every day. We continue to do routine tests mostly to affirm God's love and grace on our lives, but also to know how great the blessing is that we have been given. And he continues to be cancer-free, gone, not there. Isn't that wonderful? Can we give the Lord a hand? Another testimony is the, uh, the couple that cleans the church. They have their own cleaning service. They weren't able to be here today. Beverly and Lawrence Farron have a mighty testimony. It happened about three weeks ago when Ron Cantrell was here. At the end of the service, Ron had people pray for people, and Lawrence was healed. Now, what happened was about a year ago, he lost the use of one of his thumbs. He had injured, and the thumb just quit working. And the doctor said, you're going to have to have surgery. This affected work, and eventually there was a cutback at work, and he lost his job. So that's how he started his cleaning business. And at that same time, through the trauma of losing the job and this other hand being injured, the other thumb stopped working. So when we hired him, he was unable to make a fist. At the end of the service, we're praying for people in the body. Beverly's praying for her husband, and his thumbs begin working. He can now make a fist. Lawrence immediately began to worship God, and he stayed here probably for another 30 minutes with his hands raised, just thanking God and checking his thumbs. Wow. That's good. Another mighty testimony happened in our youth meeting on a Wednesday night recently. Lexi, can you stand? She is here. You can speak to Lexi afterwards. But this is her story. She sent this in an email last night. I have always had one leg shorter than the other one. And that shorter leg, the ankle turned in. And the foot turned in even more. And so, was it your left foot? 
both of them turned in, and the shorter leg that both feet turned into, so you were very much pigeon-toed. Okay. So her feet turned in, and one leg was shorter than the other one, and this caused her back to hurt. Her parents took her to a specialist, and the specialist said there was nothing he can do. The Coxes are here. They can verify what, what Lexi's testimony is. So there's nothing to be done for her shorter leg and the ankles that turn in and the feet that turn in even more. One night at youth group, Miss Yvette prayed for me. I could feel my leg like relaxing. Now my leg is the same length, my limp is gone, and I walk straight, and my back is much better. We give the Lord praise. So with that being said, just want to emphasize that love is important. It's what it's all about. But thank God he still heals. He confirms the fact that he loves. And I learned this from Elder Joe Duncan years ago. For God to do something in the earth, it does not mean it has to always benefit me personally for it to be of God. So God healing our brothers and sisters is a blessing to us, even though we may have a headache this morning or even though some prayer we had wasn't answered, God still loves us and he's confirming it by healing our brothers and sisters. When one brother is blessed, all the brothers are blessed. Amen. So with that being said, I'd like for us to stand and Shake's going to come and play some music. And I want us to express God's love to one another today with these words. Just turn to your neighbor and say, can I pray with you about anything? I don't care what it is. It may be something huge. Share it. Tell them. And let's end the service with a season of praying over one another. All right? And then hang around and let's have lunch. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And may the revelation of His love with signs following be your portion as you leave this place today desiring the best gifts for the glory of God as we walk in the excellent way of your love. Amen. All right, let's pray for one another. Expect great things to happen. After you receive prayer, ask the person praying for you, is there anything I can pray with you about? Expect great things to happen. Thank you, brother.